they really are the ultimate parasites. And what they do is they get inside the cell and they take over the cell's machinery so they can make copies of themselves. They're really very good at exploiting what the cell has to offer. Hey everyone, welcome back to STEM Power. My name is Arya Chokshi. And my name is Karen Wang. Joining us today is Dr. John Bell from the Ottawa Hospital Research Institute. So Dr. Bell, thank you so much for joining us on this week's podcast. My pleasure. So as Karen briefly mentioned, Dr. Bell is a researcher from the OHRI, Ottawa Hospital Research Institute, and he specializes in using oncolytic viruses to treat cancer. Dr. Bell, would you like to add anything to that? No, it's, it's great to get a chance to talk to uh, all the people that listen to your podcast, because I think, you know, the story of science is really important to get out there, and I, I, I'm happy to share with you the work we've been doing. Awesome. Now, let's dive right into our questions. Okay, so Karen and I will ask you a few questions about your work. So as we mentioned earlier, Dr. Bell, you work with oncolytic viruses and use them to create cancer treatments. What exactly are oncolytic viruses and how are they used to treat cancer? Sure, so oncolytic means is two words, onco being for cancer and lytic being for lysine. So what the, the original origin of these viruses is to, to think of agents that could infect and then lyse or destroy cancer cells. That's really how we started thinking about them uh, many years ago. And what we recognized uh, almost 20 years ago now is that um, if you look at a cancer cell, which is derived originally from a normal tissue, but it undergoes a lot of uh, mutations over your lifespan to become, go from being a normal cell to being a cancerous cell. Uh, When we studied that in great depth at the molecular level, like we got down deep and sequenced the DNA of, of these tumor cells, what we found was that they're different than normal cells in a few ways. And one of the ways they're different is they've lost the ability to resist virus infections. So, you know, we're, we're right now in the middle of a pandemic and you know how, how important viruses can be to our lives in a, in a very negative way. Uh, but the reason that we're still on the planet is because we've evolved ways to fight viruses and our immune system does that. Our immune system finds ways to eliminate viruses. And that immune system is very complex. It includes things which you probably know about, like antibodies and, and immune cells that you, you uh, acquire after a vaccination. But you also have the ability on every single cell in your body has the ability to fight virus infections to some extent. But when a cancer cell arises, what it does, it wants to, es- it wants to escape mortality. It, it wants to become immortal. It wants to grow forever. And so to do that, it has to give up some of its genetic information because normally in our bodies, uh, we have programmed uh, genetic programs that tell us that it's the cells it's time to die or, or time to reproduce. And so cancer cells give up the ability to, to die when they're supposed to so they can become immortal. I have some cell lines in my, in my lab, for instance, that uh, are over 60 years old. They've been growing in my lab in plastic dishes for 60 years, uh, but the person they were derived from died in the 50s. So it's, it's really true that these cancer cells become immortal and grow forever. But to do that, they had to give up something. And what they gave up was the ability to fight virus infections. And that's actually not a bad deal for a cancer cell because usually cancers are deep within your body. They're never exposed to viruses. So they don't really need that machinery that's required to fight virus infections. But once we discovered that there was a difference between normal cells and cancer cells, and this difference was in the ability of, of the cell to resist a virus infection, we began creating viruses that were really just parasites of cancer cells only. So they, when they enter a normal cell, they're shut down right away, they cannot grow. But when they enter a cancer cell, they're able to reproduce themselves and take over that cell's machinery, make lots of copies of the virus, 
and eventually kill that cell. So in a way, they're very targeted therapeutics that attack only the cancer cell and not any of the surrounding normal tissues. That's really how they were designed in the first place. Uh, and as such, they're very selective and very safe kinds of therapeutics that we hope will be able to use to, to eliminate cancers no matter where they are in the body because the virus can spread throughout the body uh, and wherever it lands on a, a cancer cell, it can start to grow. So it's sort of the think about it if you took grass seed and threw grass seed uh, you know, across your yard, but some landed on the pavement of your driveway, the seeds that land on your driveway couldn't grow, but the ones that land in the grass in the soil can grow. That's sort of what these viruses are like. They land on a normal cell, it's like the asphalt, they can't grow, but when they land on a cancer cell, it's like the soil and they can reproduce and grow very well. And that's really what we've done is designed viruses, and many labs around the world have done this now, that are designed specifically to replicate only in cancer cells. That is super interesting. Now, I do have another question. So can any virus work for this kind of treatment or are there only selective viruses that can work? That's a great question. And I, I think in principle, one could imagine that any virus could be tuned to have this property because we have, you know, we've evolved systems to fight all viruses. That's what we, how we've evolved and stay on the planet and live as long as we do. So in principle, any virus could be used for this purpose. But what we tend to do is pick viruses, which we know already are very, very safe. So, <coughs> excuse me, if you take a virus, which is really dangerous, like Ebola virus, you could probably engineer it to make it so it's selective only for cancer cells, but it would probably take you a long time to figure out exactly how to do that. And, and it would probably be very dangerous to start with. So what we do instead is take viruses, which we know are very safe to start with. Viruses, for instance, that are in vaccine formulations. So vaccines are extremely safe. Some vaccines contain virus particles that have been attenuated, so they can't grow in normal tissues. And that's often where we start with, with virus therapeutics is we create something from a, a virus which is already known to be very safe. Wow, that's, that's actually really cool. And it kind of segues into my next question. So um, do you think that it's possible that perhaps um, people might have had cancer in very, very early stages at some point in their life, but maybe they never realized it because they got a virus and that virus eliminated the cancer cells before it got worse. I totally think that's possible. I think that probably does happen uh, all the time, actually. Uh, if you get the right virus at the right time, and if you have a very small amount of cancer, it probably can easily happen. I can give you a great example of that. It's very relevant to today. There was a patient um, I believe in the United States, who had a very bad uh, skin uh, blood cancer called a lymphoma. Uh, and he uh, had an, got COVID virus infection. And uh, so he, you know, it was very dangerous for him as a cancer patient to get that COVID virus infection, but he managed to survive it. And then afterwards, they found that his, his lymphoma actually went away, it disappeared. And so likely what happened is that some of the COVID virus infected his tumor uh, and started to initiate an immune response against the cancer. In fact, this is one of the things we've discovered that's quite neat about these oncolytic viruses is although we design them to be cancer-killing viruses, what they probably are is cancer-killing viruses, but coupled with that, immune-stimulating viruses. So they actually stimulate the patient's immune system to recognize their cancerous form and begin to attack it and eliminate it. And also, once you have an immune response against the tumor, it's, it's long-term memory of that immune response can keep the cancer from coming back. So we think that this gentleman who had lymphoma and got a COVID virus infection and had this tremendous response, probably what happened was that the COVID virus, to some extent, infected his tumor, 
it made that tumor now visible to the immune system, and then the patient was able to respond and start to kill off their own cancer. Uh, and, and I suspect this happens more often than we realize because, you know, and to your point, Karen, if the cancer was very uh, small and undetectable, that might be the perfect time for a virus to infect it and eliminate it. You'd never even know you had it in the first place. So uh, I think that's probably something that does happen. Wow, that's really interesting. And the story about the patient in the United States who got COVID and like the COVID destroys all the cancer cells. That's really interesting. Um, and now a question about your work, Dr. Bell. So why did you decide to do research on viruses of all things as a potential cancer treatment for, instead of perhaps going into other areas? Uh, well, you know, when I did my PhD, my PhD was on understanding how viruses grow in cells in general. It had nothing to do with cancer at that time. But I was very fascinated with, with viruses. They're very cool parasites. You know, when you think about it, the only place they can grow is inside your body. They can't grow, you know, if you're at a, a, a party and someone sneezes on the table uh, and, you know, there's flu virus there, it can't grow on its own. It needs to get inside someone else to be able to replicate. So they really are the ultimate parasites. And what they do is they get inside the cell and they take over the cell's machinery so they can make copies of themselves. They're really very good at exploiting what the cell has to offer. So I was really interested in understanding how those parasites work and how they uh, over, you know, take over the cell and take over the cell's protein synthesis machinery, for instance, or transcriptional machinery. And, and really that sort of research, uh, especially back in the 60s and 70s and 80s, was the time that we really started to understand how cells work because we had these viruses as tools to figure out how it, how it all came together. So that was really where I started off, was really studying viruses um, for the sake of understanding how viruses in cells interact. And then later on, when I started my own lab, uh, I became more interested in the cancer problem because I could see that cancer was a huge problem for society. Uh, it's, it's really uh, something that affects everybody's family one, at some time, I'm sure. And it's, it's actually one of the leading causes of bankruptcy. People don't realize how devastating cancer can be to a family. It's actually one of the leading causes of bankruptcy in Canada. Uh, and so really, it's, it's uh, something that is a big social problem as well as a, a problem for people's health. It's, it doesn't just impact the patient, it impacts their whole family. And so it was something that I found very fascinating. And my background in viruses made me think about the problem in a very uh, virus-centric way. And when we discovered this difference between cancer cells and normal cells, I thought, ah, I, you know, I know how to use viruses. And so maybe this is a time to sort of use that knowledge to begin to develop therapeutics to try to treat this disease. Wow, so I find that so cool and so interesting that one would think to use viruses as a treatment to cancer. I mean, that's something that nobody would really think about because viruses are something that affect the body. You'd never think that it would help you heal. Now, this um, leads on to my next question uh, for preventative uh, treatments for cancer. Now, what are some things that we can do to prevent cancer in the body? Does a healthy and active lifestyle play a part? There is no question that a good, healthy, balanced lifestyle is huge for preventing cancer. If people would uh, eat a, a moderate diet, you know, they don't have to uh, you know, necessarily go uh, full vegan if they just eat a, a good amount of vegetables along with their meat. If they eat a balanced diet, that would be huge. I think on top of that, uh, active lifestyle, exercise, whether it's just walking, you know, the, with the recommended 10,000 steps a day or whatever people recommend, even that would make a big difference because we know that uh, your body mass index correlates with the chances of getting cancer. And people who have a, uh, you know, a, 
the discordant body mass uh, index, they tend to uh, more frequently get cancer. That's one thing. Obviously, smoking, uh, without doubt, there is no, there should be no question in anyone's mind uh, how uh, smoking is a contributor to causing all kinds of cancers, including lung cancer, which you think about, but also things like uh, breast and, and bladder cancer are also uh, impacted by, by smoking. So smoking is a huge problem. Uh, that we could eliminate about 40% of lung cancers if people just gave up smoking altogether. The, another one which is, is very relevant to, to you and your listeners uh, is the HPV vaccine. Because human papillomavirus is a virus which is known to cause cancer. It causes cervical cancer uh, in women, but it also causes head and neck cancer in men. Uh, and so it's a big problem. It's something that we could completely eliminate if people were to get the HPV vaccine, because that would block the virus from being able to replicate. So that's something that, again, uh, you know, if, if society would adopt the HPV vaccine and embrace it, we could eliminate uh, in our lifetimes uh, the occurrence of cervical cancer, because that really is almost 99% is caused by the HPV virus. So, and I guess the final thing I'll say to you, because you're young, young women is, uh, you know, when I was a young man, I loved to go in the beach and lay in the sun but it's not a good idea and really shouldn't always wear sunscreen and don't go to tanning parlors because that also has been definitely linked to causing melanoma. So, you know, there are a lot of things that we could do to, to really reduce the cancer burden if we just were reasonable about things in life. Now there's some things, it doesn't matter whether you, you know, you eat the best diet and you train for marathons and so on. Sometimes just bad luck happens and you may still develop a cancer. So that's going to happen. But uh, and that's what we're obviously trying to develop therapies for that as well. But, you know, if you could prevent it in the first place, that would be a huge uh, savings in our healthcare system. And of course, obviously not as devastating to people's uh, family lives. So I think, you know, you're right on. If we had adopted some of these very simple things, we could eliminate the cancer frequency quite a bit um, right away. I completely agree. So I think that a few things that we should take away from just this question in essence is that sunscreen, really important, um, a healthy, uh, I guess, diet and a healthy lifestyle, just not even doing like, I mean, high intensity workouts or anything small going on walks going on a run even would help dramatically. Um, just taking care of yourself is a really important thing. Um, so this uh, is another question that I have. It's completely different from uh, everything else, but I've hold, I've heard of um, cold caps as a preventative treatment for hair loss within chemotherapy. Does this new treatment also attack other systems which can cause hair loss alongside the viruses that are also being put in your body during um, oncolytic treatments? Are, are, you, are you asking about chemotherapy? Is that what you're saying? Chemotherapy, chemotherapy um, yeah. Yeah. So chemotherapy is really useful because it has changed a lot of people's lives. Uh, unfortunately, what it doesn't do is it doesn't provide cures for people who have widespread cancer. So if people have cancer when they show up at the cancer center uh, with what's called metastatic cancer, that is cancer that is spread to multiple sites. Chemotherapy is not very good at that. And the reason it's not very good is because to your, your point, uh, if, you, if I said to you, you know, I, I'm, I know someone who's having chemotherapy for the breast cancer, you know, the image that would probably come to your mind is, is a woman who's lost all of her hair, for instance. But it's not just the hair that the chemo attacks. It also attacks the normal skin, the normal lining of your gut, uh, the normal blood cell production. So it doesn't have a nice, what we call a therapeutic window. 
So while it's killing the cancer, unfortunately, it's also killing some normal cells. And it gets to the point where we can no longer treat patients because if we treat them anymore with chemotherapy, we won't be able to uh, prolong their lives because uh, the, cancer, the chemotherapy would destroy too many of their normal tissues, suppress their immune system, for instance, uh, make them uh, you know, develop sores in, in, their, in their gut lining. And on top of that, cancers can evolve resistance to chemotherapy. So it gets to the point where we really just can't dose people anymore. That's why we need to develop what are called targeted therapies, therapies that only attack the cancer and leave your normal tissues unscathed. And obviously we think that oncogenic virus is one kind of targeted therapy, but there's many others out there that are being developed. Small molecules can be targeted therapy. Different kinds of immune, uh, immunotherapies can be very targeted as well. So. These are all new innovations that are developing in the last 20, 30 years that I think are really going to start to turn the tables on cancer. Awesome. That's really cool. And I have one final question for you. It kind of wraps up everything, I suppose. Um, just based on your background um, and opinion, what do you think about, uh, what do you think it is about cancer that makes it so difficult to treat? Yeah, the, the real challenge in cancer is that the cancer cells uh, are themselves parasites. They live inside your body, basically, right? And they use your body's resources to grow. And they're able to mutate and grow in an uncontrolled fashion. And because they can mutate, if you treat them with, as I mentioned, chemotherapy, they'll mutate to get away and to avoid the chemotherapy. They become what's called drug resistant. So this is really a challenge. The other thing that they're, they're good at doing is they're good at hiding from your immune system because you have a very, all of us have very good immune systems that help us uh, fight virus and bacterial and parasite infections. And that same immune system can obviously fight cancer, but cancers put up a cloak around themselves so they can hide from your immune system. So these are all things that make it very hard to control this disease. And it really takes a, a new approach, something that's completely unique to uh, try to uh, turn the tables on it. And we believe that using things like immunotherapies, engineered immune cells, viruses, in combination of engineered immune cells, these sorts of things are going to be able to, to, to turn the tables because they'll uncloak the cancer and make it visible to the immune system. And then the immune system can do the work for us. Okay, thank you for that. Actually, so when I said this was the last question, I lied because I suddenly have another question um, based on your uh, response to this. Um, do you think it's possible that one of the difficulties for finding um, like cures for cancer, perhaps it's because like um, each person's body is different and since it's their own cells that are mutating, do you think that also plays a part in making it so difficult to cure? Yeah, you, you hit the nail right in the head there. That's exactly the case. So you can say, you know, two people who have lung cancer and those lung cancers will still be different because those people are genetically different. And because cancers arise in your own body, uh, they will be as different as you and I are because we have completely different genetic makeups. And so that makes it very hard to find a single therapy that will be effective in many people's cancer. And so what you really need to do is get a combination of therapies that can attack some common things that are found in, in all cancers. Uh, but it is one of the, certainly one of the challenges is that people are different. And so therefore their cancers are different. And even though they call them two of them lung cancers, that's because they arose in the lung. It doesn't mean that those two tumors would be exactly the same. In fact, they can be quite different and they might respond completely different to chemotherapy. So that certainly is one of the other challenges. 
Okay, well, thank you so much, Dr. Bell, for joining us um, on this week's podcast. It was so great to learn about your work and your research on uh, oncolytic viruses and this new kind of cancer treatment. This was really a fun podcast episode. Good yes, answer. I completely agree. Uh, thank you so much, um, Dr. Bell, again, and everyone for listening to this episode of STEM Power uh, with Dr. Bell from the Ottawa Hospital Research Institute. We hope you stay tuned for the next one. Happy Easter, everyone, and stay safe.